This is Kate Moorhead-Carroll in the podcast, Find It. Today I want to talk about genealogies and our relationship to the earth. A genealogy is a boring list of names, mostly fathers and sons. At least that is what it looks like at first glance. And most readers of the Bible gloss over genealogies as uninteresting. I remember many years ago, a young woman had to read at a Lessons and Carols service. I was sitting in the congregation. The poor thing got mixed up and ended up reading the begats from the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew instead of the assigned birth narrative reading. It was incredibly funny because it so obviously was not the right reading. No one reads the begats aloud by choice. In fact, who in their right mind would really want to read First and Second Chronicles, unless someone was challenging them to do so or paying them. But genealogies are incredibly important in the Bible. And like many things in life, when you look at them more closely, they are magnificent. They tell us so much about a people and the way that they understood salvation and their relationship with each other, with the earth, and with God. There are 11 chapters in the book of Genesis that contain genealogies. 11 chapters out of a total of 50. That's more than one-fifth of the book. If this is indeed the word of God, what is God trying to tell us? Genealogies in the book of Genesis are like bridges between portions of the story. They link periods of history by recounting the ancestors that bridged the gaps between the periods. They are not necessarily father and son, but often great-grandfather to great-grandson, or something along those lines. They skip whole generations, but the line of descent was what was important, not every single individual. Remember that God commanded us to be fruitful and multiply, and the genealogies are our response to that command. Survival was not a given. Life itself was fragile and bound to the land in a kind of interdependence that we now have no idea about. To have a child, especially a son, was the greatest accomplishment of a person's life. Life was not about what you did or who you were, but most importantly, it was about procreation. There was simply nothing more important than having children. Genealogies were formulas, a kind of mathematical poetry using repetition and numbers. They would repeat the same words for each generation mentioned, but occasionally when there was someone remarkable, they would alter the pattern. There is a genealogy of Cain in chapter 4 and a separate genealogy of Seth, the third born of Adam and Eve, in chapter 5. It is from Seth's line that Noah is born. There are important messages in the numbers of generations mentioned. There are 14 generations from Abraham to David, and 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile until the birth of Jesus. Seven was considered a holy number. 
Genealogies remind me of genome, a living reminder that we are all interconnected to one another and even possess qualities of one another. Regardless of our relationships with our families, we are bound to each other in a kind of mathematical and mystical fabric, which is our biology and our being. The ancients knew this. Most remarkable is the ancestor named Enoch, who did not die but walked with God. Scholars have no idea what this means, except that maybe, like Elijah, Enoch was just lifted up to heaven. And the lifespans of these earliest humans seems to have lasted a long time, either because their measurement of time was different, or perhaps because they were closer to Eden and lived much longer lives. And so the lineage leads from Seth to Noah, and God is not pleased with humankind, and God regrets having made humankind. I read to you from the book of Genesis, chapter 6. And the Lord saw the evil of the human creature was great on the earth, and that every scheme of his heart's devising was only perpetually evil. And the Lord regretted having made the human from the earth and was grieved to the heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe out the human race I created from the face of the earth, from human to cattle to crawling thing to the fowl of the heavens, for I regret having made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And the earth was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with outrage. And God saw that the earth was corrupt, and look, for all flesh had corrupted its ways on the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with outrage by them, and I am about to destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of cypress wood with cells you shall make the ark and caulk it inside and out with pitch. And this Noah did, as all that God commanded him, so he did. Listen to these words. And the Lord saw the evil of the human creature was great on the earth and every scheme of his heart's devising was only perpetually evil. The evil that the scripture speaks about is not clear. It multiplies using the same words as when humanity was great and multiplied on the earth. What exactly is this evil? Mesopotamian flood stories also abound, making it very historically plausible that there was in fact a major flood in the area. But those stories attribute the flood to overpopulation and an arbitrary act. But here the flood is caused by evil. Yet this evil is not described with any kind of specificity. It's not just humanity that is evil, but the earth itself becomes corrupt. And the earth was corrupt before God, the scripture says, and the earth was filled with outrage. And God saw the earth, and look, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted its ways on the earth. The activities of the humans and the life of the earth are incredibly intertwined here. It is as if we have abused the earth by mistreating each other. 
The earth becomes corrupt by the human's actions. We are bound to one another in a kind of mutuality. Just as the actions of a parent affect a child, so our actions affect the land itself. We damage it. We corrupt it. So God plans a flood. God regrets having made us. It is, for me, one of the saddest verses in the Bible. One of the reasons why Christ had to come. Because God needed another plan. Not one to reject us, but one to redeem us. To love us even despite our broken ways. Our Green Spirit group watched the movie Before the Flood with Leonardo DiCaprio. The parallels are unavoidable. Global warming is melting the ice in both poles. Seas are swelling and islands are being flooded. We are seeing a flood which is caused in part by human pollution and activity, by our behavior. The waters are rising and we can all agree that we have not acted with the interests of the planet in mind. We are behaving as if our actions have no consequences, but they do, they always do. Interesting, though, is God's exception. God wants to save some creatures and some people. God's speech to Noah is by far the longest yet in Genesis. It is full of instructions, hammering out details. Robert Alter, the biblical scholar, describes the Hebrew in this way. The language is not arranged in actual verse, but it sounds like a drum roll of grand formal cadences stressing repeated terms and phrases that are rhythmically or semantically parallel, he writes. There seems to be two strains of this Noah story, one in which only clean animals are saved and one in which seven pairs of clean animals and one pair of unclean are saved. By clean and unclean, they were referring to animals that could be sacrificed in the temple, So some scholars have determined that perhaps priests of the temple wrote at least one version of this epic oral history down at some point. Remember that in the creation story, God divided the waters from the waters and formed a barrier for dry land to appear? In many ways, this is the opposite, a release of the chaos, a bursting forth of those same waters to reverse the orderly process of creation. But back to genealogies. Noah is not just saved because of his actions and decisions. He is also linked to his ancestor Seth through a genealogy, a bridge of ancestry. So it's not clear if a person is beloved because of their lineage or because of their behavior or both. We are made up of those who have gone before, but we also have a free will to make our own decisions. Scripture seems to take both of these realities, both of these ontological influences into account. Even before science revealed to us about genome, the scripture knew that we were made up of those who had gone before, that family history matters and shapes us. I believe we must research and know our ancestry if we can, but at the same time understanding that these genes gave us building blocks upon which to form ourselves, but it is up to us to build our lives and shape them according to God's purposes. We are so much more than our DNA, but our DNA is a place to begin. We are free, 
children of God, survivors of the flood, and the choices that we make define who we are and define who this planet will be. Will there be more generations to come, more genealogies moving into distant futures? The choice is up to us. Thank you for joining me in the podcast, Find It. Remember that if you keep searching for the divine presence, you will find it. I want to invite you, if you're interested in hearing more of these podcasts, to subscribe. Just hit the subscribe button and you will be informed of new episodes. And before we part ways, I pray that God will bless you and hold you, give you peace. Until we meet again.